Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Um, Has God ever told you to do something that you didn't want to do? Probably. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, This week I was... um, you know, going through uh, my journal, re- rereading some stuff. It's good to, you know, sometimes look over your journal, you know, uh, think about where you've been. I, um, um, I came across a quote that, you know, had really grabbed me. I, I wrote down from Heidi Baker. Um, she said, God knows I will obey him. It's decided that's become easy. It's like, that is really beautiful and true. Just before Jesus, it's done. It's easy. So I asked Jesus, and um, I'm not going to show you my journal entries because some things are off limits, but I asked Jesus, well, what do you want me to do about this, you know, one specific situation? And you know what I heard? It's pretty clear. I said, I don't want to, Jesus. So then I spent a little bit more time, you know, continued reading over my journal, some time in scripture, a little bit more prayer. Then I circled back to it. You know, I had a little bit of a decompression time. Circled back to it. I said, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Exact same thing. In all fairness to God, it was a really good idea. Um, Circled back to it. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Same thing. I said, okay, God, I'll do it. Got over my attitude, my wanting to, you know, show things a, a certain way. And you know what? It worked out for the best. It worked out for the best. This morning, uh, we're starting our new series in uh, Jonah. Jonah is famous. There's uh, cartoons about Jonah, Sunday school songs. Maybe some of you are familiar with uh, the story. Um, There are even boats named after Jonah, though I really question how auspicious that is. Um, But Jonah has a lot to tell us about God, his plans, and our heart issues following God's plans. Ultimately, Jonah has two projects, or God has two projects that he's working on. He's working to save Jonah and to save Nineveh. And this morning, I think God has two projects that he's working on here also, to save us and to save those around us. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into the story. Jesus, this morning we let our hearts just come before you and open before you. In the presence of our loving Heavenly Father, in your presence, Jesus, we have nothing to fear or hide. We ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us. Would you prepare our hearts for what you want to do this morning? Would we come before you with absolute certainty that you love us, that you have good things for us. And this morning, would we commit to following you into your good plans all the way, Jesus, letting you decide, letting you call the shots. Right now, letting you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah's one of the minor prophets, so he's... uh, 
You know, after the big dogs like uh, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, um, and it takes up one page in my Bible. So if you're reading along in your Bible, uh, don't flip too fast. We'll also have it up on the screens. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Interesting prophet right now. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. You know it's getting bad when you start throwing out your food. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. The sailors are awake and alert. Jonah not awake. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. This pagan sea captain is like, how about you pray? Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Kind of bold answer for a guy who's totally, you know, backsliding right now. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running from the Lord. Oh, why did you do this? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and then it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Jonah seems to prefer suicide over repentance. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. They didn't want to kill him. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Amen. Uh, as we get started, let's watch. I've got a little video uh, recap uh, looking at the book of Jonah. Perfect. Perfect. 
prophets who, ironically, do the exact opposite of what you think they would do. So you have the prophet, the man of God, who rebels and hates his own God. You have the sailors who are supposed to be really immoral, but actually they have soft, repentant hearts and turn to God in humility. You have the king of the most powerful, murderous empire on the planet, and he humbles himself before God because of Jonah's five-word sermon, and even the king's cows repent. This kind of story fits what today we would call satire. These are stories about well-known figures who are placed in extreme circumstances, and they use humor and irony to critique their stupidity and character flaws. Let's just dive in and we'll see how all the pieces work together. The story opens as God addresses Jonah and commissions him to go preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's bitter enemy. But instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, finding a ship going as far west as you can go to Tarshish. Now the big question here is why? Why does Jonah run? Is he afraid? Does he just not like Ninevites? And we're not told yet. So the man of God tries to run from God, and he boards a ship full of pagan sailors. He goes down into the ship, and then he falls asleep. So God sends a huge storm to wake up his prophet, while ironically the sailors above board are wide awake to everything that's happening. They can discern that there's a divine power at work here. So they throw the dice, and they discover that Jonah, he is the culprit. So they ask Jonah to explain himself, and Jonah spouts off a whole bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. He says, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke, right? God made the sea and the dry land all right, and Jonah's dumb enough to run from this God by getting on a boat? And when the sailors ask Jonah what they should do, he says, kill me, right, by throwing me overboard, which kind of seems noble at first, until you realize this could actually be his most selfish move yet. I mean, what better way to avoid going to Nineveh? So he puts his blood on these innocent sailors' hands by trying to force them to kill him. They're reluctant, of course, and they repent to God even as they toss him over. The storm subsides, and they end up fearing the God of Israel, and unlike Jonah, they actually worship God. But God All right. Jonah is a great book. It is not boring. It will keep you entertained even as it pokes at all of us. Um, you know, as we read the Bible, it's good to ask, um, you know, if we start out reading the Psalms and you hear this, oh God, why is my life so, like, okay, what am I reading here? What am I working with here? Well, the Psalms are prayers, uh, spiritual poems to God. That's good to know. This, this book of Jonah, you know, what, what is it? Is it a history? Is it Jonah's memoir? If so, he did not make himself look very good in it. Is it a fable? Is it a, a parable? Um, and you know, there are lots of, uh, parts of the Bible that are our stories. Um, maybe some of the most impactful parts of Scripture that we believe are divinely inspired, that, you know, God worked on human authors in their own time and place and in their own way to record these words. Um, much of Scripture divinely inspired is, you know, stories. The story of the Good Samaritan. So true has impacted so many people. It is, you know, a fictional made-up story, uh, the story of the prodigal son. How many people have come to know God through this story? And yet it's, it's a parable, it's a fable. Um, so what is Jonah? Is it a parable that speaks to us a deep truth about obedience and repentance and, and witnessing? 
Well, no. Because unlike parables or fables, it also contains real historical characters. Jesus started the parable, the story of you know, the prodigal son by saying, a man in a faraway country had two sons. He didn't say, Joseph of Arimathea, who you all know, his two boys, you know, that would have changed the situation. Jonah's clearly a real person. You know, he's mentioned in other places in the Bible. One of his prophecies is recorded. But the story of Jonah's not also like a journalistic A, then B, then C account. There's lots of stereotyping. There's some heavy-handedness. The book's highly stylized. You know, it's an amazing literary book that's a great read. I would call it a didactic history. So it's a stylized story um, that really works to highlight or emphasize a certain theological point. Because God has a point for us to learn in this. This story is not about Jonah and the whale, but about God and his mission to the Ninevites and to Jonah. Uh, It's not about marine biology and the kind of impossible capacities of, of a whale's stomach. It's about what God wants to do in the world. It's about God's mercy to terrible religious people and to terrible foreign kings. And in this story with a point, Jonah represents the people of God. In a a book chock full of Israelites, Jonah is the only Israelite in this story, and he represents the Israelites called by God, chosen now also the church, us. Jonah represents us. And first and foremost, we see that he has a calling on his life. Jonah means dove, a bird of peace. Amittai, his father, his legacy, uh, means truth. And he's called to be a bringer of peace and truth. Will he be a bringer of peace and truth? Well, it starts out with, you know, who he is, then a calling to him. And if Jonah didn't have a high calling on his life, it would be totally cool if he went to Tarshish. Other people are going to Tarshish. They post photos on Instagram. They seem to enjoy themselves. It seems like there's nothing wrong with going to Tarshish. It's a nice place. It's where uh, Solomon got his gold from. What's wrong with going to Tarshish? Well, nothing's wrong with going to Tarshish. Just God told him to go to Nineveh. Why can't you and I spend money the same way everyone else does? Why can't I watch funny Netflix videos all evening? Like, why can't we do some of these things? Because we have a calling on our life. You know, uh, this week... um, we were going through some more uh, difficult parenting things, and Steve and I had some long conversations and talked about things. And, uh, and, you know, there's a bit of a part of me that says, why do I have to do, like, all this? Why do I have to do, like, all this work and be all this intentional? And then God kind of spoke to me and said, well, it's your family. I'm like, that's, that's right, that's right. I want it. It's part of a whole package. It's not above and beyond. It's part of the whole package that I want. That's my calling. God doesn't call us to be A-plus Christians and go above and beyond. Sometimes I'll I'll think that a little bit. Like, no, actually, he hasn't asked me to do anything that difficult. I live a pretty comfortable life. Maybe like B-plus. Why do I have to be the B-plus? 
But it's not like that. It's the whole complete precious calling of God on our life. It's not like, oh, do extra or work extra hard. It's a whole package that's precious and important and valuable. I want to live into the fullness of that calling in my family life, in my work, in who I am. But you can only be disobedient if you have something to obey can only be disobedient if you have something to obey. And friends, we have something to obey. But before Jonah booked his ticket on Expedia, before a really great deal popped up, he was like, okay, I'll just take it. There was something else deeper going on. In disobeying, what he was saying is he's saying, I don't like the way you save those people, and I don't like the way you command me to do stuff. Disagreement with God's way of doing things always precedes real disobedience to God's commands. We always disagree with God before we directly disobey him. And it may be an emphasis, a matter of like emphasis, uh, percentage points. We don't totally disagree with God that evangelism isn't a good thing. We just don't think it's that important. We, we, we know that generosity is good, but it's not such a big deal. What do you think in your own life? It's maybe, you know, a little overemphasized or, you know, it's maybe not that big of a deal. Where's the rub for you? Because these places of disagreement is where our disobedience is going to start to show. And Jonah is just really, he's out of touch with God's character. He has a basic disagreement with God's way of doing things. I don't like how you command me. I don't like how you save those people. But he's really out of touch with God's character. And it's dangerous to know things about God, but to not know God. It's dangerous to, you know, have some familiarity with God, but to be out of touch with his heart of love and grace. Friends, if we are actually in touch with God's heart of love and his generosity and his goodness, if we know that deep in our souls, if we know that God is a reliable friend and a good father, we're far better off than if we know stuff about God but are out of touch with his heart and his character. If we're removed from really knowing his heart of love. So Jonah disagreed and he was out of touch um, and because, so, so he disobeyed. And because of his total, like total disobedience, he's thrown into this storm. And this storm is not to punish him. It's not to say, you did something wrong, now I'm just going to kick you while you're out or kick you while you're down. It's a f one final deterrent, one final block. And listen, guys, he did not have to have this storm. He could have changed his, you know, he's packing his suitcase, perhaps, the little tug of conscience that he could have, you know, as he's walking out the dock, he could have sold this ticket. Somebody else would have taken his, like, there are so many opportunities for him to have changed and gotten off this boat. He could have swum as it pulled away from the dock. So many opportunities. But God sends this storm as one final deterrent, one final block. 
And you know, I do wonder if some of the storms in our life aren't because sometimes we are avoiding the calling of God on our life. When we feel like we are trying so hard, we just keep hitting walls. If maybe the wall is a sign that we weren't supposed to go in that direction. And again, God doesn't punish us. That's not, that's not how it works. God just puts up some deterrence. And, you know, it's not, it's not that, you know, these, the storms are because of disobedience. But, you know, I think of a very close family friend, for example. Very close. We grew up together. His kids are about the same age as me. Um, and uh, neither one of the kids has really gone in the direction that, you know, the family had hoped. It's been lots of addiction issues. Um, it's, it's been a lot of, lot of things. Every parent dreams of their kids being successful in some way, shape, or form, and that has not been either one of the, the two kids' stories, and it's two out of two. And uh, they recently had a uh, big birthday party for one of the family members, and um, I was talking to the mom, and she was like, you know what? I spent so long, so long trying to change my kids. And it's true. I remember trying to have conversations with them. I remember family friends. We'd go back a long way. It's trying to have conversations with them. And she would kind of hover to like edit their responses. Like, how's your summer? And she'd be like, oh, their summer's great. I'm like, I asked the other one. She's like, I spent so long trying to change my kids. And then I decided to just love them and enjoy them. And honestly, the storm in her life, it's, it's not over, but she's not frantically trying to swim the opposite way. <laughs> honestly, a lot of the storm in her life is over because instead of trying to change her kids, she's loving and enjoying them. She's like, they're actually really good people. We get along well. We have a good time together. And I was really, I was happy for them. I was happy for the peace that they have found. I was also a little bit sad the previous 15, 20 years of that not being the case. But the storm tells us that God doesn't change his mind. And the storm tells us that we cannot manipulate God. My disobedience will not get me any further towards my goal. Jonah said, I don't want those people being saved. I don't want me doing what you, what you say. But Salvation belongs to the Lord. And in this story, we see God take two main actions. He's got different goals, but two actions. Saving and commanding. He commands and he saves. And, and uh, Jonah says, I, I don't like how you're trying to save those people. So he's going to try and control uh, what God does with, with his resources of salvation. We can't do that. I think about working at Starbucks. I was a barista for one year and going through the uh, training and the, uh, the manager that got all these procedures and they teach you how to make the drinks, which I loved. I loved like pulling espresso shots and everything. And they're like, okay, now for birthdays and giving away free drinks and stuff. And they got policies and procedures where, when you can give away free drinks. And the manager says, listen, it's not mine to give away. If it was mine to give away... I would happily give people free drinks, but it's not mine to give away. And it's the same with the things of God. It's not ours to control. It's not ours to give away or ours to hoard. It belongs to God. It's His. 
And in those things, you know, where, where are we resisting the Lord? Where are we trying to hold him off? Where, where are we pushing back? In those areas of our life where we might be resisting the Lord, why? It's not getting us any closer to our goal. This story is about God. He's got um, two goals, Jonah's salvation and Nineveh's salvation. And honestly, I'm not sure which one Jonah objects to more. We see him in the end of the story. Actually, you know, he, he really does become a little bit like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. He's got like a my precious about his heart, his bitterness, his, his anger. And in the end, he cannot control what God does with the Ninevites. In the end, that happens. God saves Nineveh. He can't quite control it. But he can try to control and push back to the very bitter end. God saving him and his heart. But our disobedience does not change God's plans. God uses the storms in our life, even our disobedience, because whether or not we obey, God is still God. Other people will respond. Even as we think that Jonah's story is totally over, as it should be, as he is sinking in the ocean, we do see that it, the good that it did in the sailors' lives. The sailors heard about the God of heaven and earth who made see the dry land. They, they see his power in the storm. They see the effects of not obeying him. They see God's justice. The sailors have better character than Jonah does. They are humble. They convert. Jonah used God, or God used Jonah's bad behavior as a saving example for the sailors. God's plan to tell foreigners, his you know, big plan to tell the Ninevites foreigners about himself, gets one step further as the, the pagan sailors hear about who God is and, and start to follow him. God's plan goes forwards. Jonah just doesn't get the privilege of being part of it. Jonah's thrown overboard. Our disobedience doesn't change God's action. We just don't have the joy of partnering with God in it. The sailors, they say, they're like, wait, your God is this guy? He sounds powerful. He sounds good. Well, what are we doing? Call him up. See if he can help. And Jonah says, well, we're not really on speaking terms, and I don't feel like changing that. And this is where Jonah's story should scare us. Not because of the whale, not because of the ship, not because of the storm, because of Jonah's hardness of heart. It's scary. Eugene Peterson says that storms, real storms, strip us down to the bare essentials and reveal the realities of our lives. The storm revealed Jonah to be a prophet who did not pray, a follower who would not follow. And this is where we see so much of ourselves in the, the big, uh, colorful story of Jonah reflected back in the mirror to us. Our resistance, our hardness of heart. And this is where we see the big actions of the story driving home a big point. 
that our hearts have to be humble, humble and moldable to what God's calling us to do. Much later in the Bible, we see not, not a prophet, but a pastor, not Jonah, but Paul, obeying God's call to tell his own enemies about who God is. So Paul uh, uh, preaches very obedient to tell his uh, enemies who uh, God is. And he is so obedient that he gets in trouble with the empire. He is shipped off. Um, and in Acts 27, we see him in a very similar shipwreck storm situation. He had warned the, the sailors. Uh, he's in prison. Uh, there's soldiers and a sailing crew. He had warned them not to leave this port. It's like, I would, don't go any further, but they really wanted to push on. Um, they've got a whole uh, business trip to, to be going on. They, they set out to sea. And they're in a massive storm. And in this storm that is caused not by Paul's disobedience, but in spite of his obedience, Paul does the opposite. He prays sincerely to God for the salvation of everyone on the ship. Uh, day 14 of this storm, which is kind of like amazingly long to be in this dire straits for, for 14 days. He says, hey, take courage, have heart. He encourages the sailors to eat, uh, to eat something. He prays for him and says, God will save us. His obedience his obedience is a mechanism for everyone's salvation in the midst of this storm. And friends, that's the option that's held out for us. We don't have to be like Jonah. We can be like Paul, hearing the call of the Lord, being obedient, and seeing the Lord's salvation for us and for all around us, generous and gracious, working for others in the midst of storms. Eugene Peterson again says, a storm reveals that we are out of control. In prayer, we participate in God's control. Worship team, if you guys want to come on up. Storms reveal that we are out of control. In prayer, we participate in God's control. And here's the point I want to end on this morning. You know, when Jonah was in that ship, how much different would his story have been if he had prayed? If he, had, in the bottom of that ship, he had just said, God, I'm so sorry. We'll, we'll work something out. He didn't even have to necessarily promise to go and be an amazing preacher to Nineveh. If he had just said, God, hello, I'm sorry. Let's stop this. Let, let, me, let me repent. Let me fix something. And that's the option held out to each and every one of us every day. How much different would our stories be if when we hit walls, if when we hit blocks, if when we hit storms, we stopped softening our heart and said, God, what do you want me to do? How can I bend towards obedience? How can I follow you in the midst of this? Let's stand together, friends. The reality is in much of life that we are out of control, but that God is in control. And friends, this morning, if you want to say yes to the control of God in your life, if you want to say yes, 
Even in the midst of hard things, even in the midst of financial struggles or work struggles or family things, if you want to say, God, I'm going to go in your direction. I'm going to be obedient for whatever that looks like. The point of this big story is that is our best decision, our best call. So let's pray together. And friends, if you want to say yes to God, yes to his control in your life, just put out your hands this morning. Jesus, this morning we say that we do want to be obedient to you, to follow you. And Jesus, we know that sometimes you ask us to do things that we may or may not want to do in the beginning. Would you soften our hearts? Would you soften our hearts? Where that is relationally hard, would you break down our pride? Where that is, is difficult for us holding on to, to dreams, to success, to vision, Jesus, would you be our vision? Would you be our definition of success? Jesus, in all things, do we say yes to you so that we can see your good plans come to pass? And then, friends, also this morning, I feel like there's, in this story, there is a call to prayer, to being more prayerful, to the times where you're like, everything is going wrong, to leaning into prayer. Because that that's a door that's just always there and we don't know what God's going to say what God's going to direct us to every time but to soften our hearts in prayer so let's pray into that um, and you know if this hits you if a lack of prayer is, is hitting you but guys this morning I pray we pray together Jesus that you would make us people of prayer would you change our stories as you could have changed Jonah's story, would you change our story because we turn to you in prayer? Would prayer be our first option, not our last resort? And in prayer, would we have the joy of partnering with you, of knowing you, of being in touch with you and close to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.